specifically in this lesson, we're going to be looking at the issue where Paul addresses the whole issue of his credibility, which has been an underlying issue in this letter. This is why this letter is somewhat difficult to understand, because Paul, as he really he's talking about, the main issue is his credibility with this church. And as he talks about the credibility issue, he kind of delves off into different areas and different doctrinal discussions and so forth. But really, and he's been kind of doing that under the surface, and so now he just comes right out and deals with it, because he has to. Because here's a church that was that he founded that was listening to others discredit him. And so they were not really wanting to accept him anymore, even though he was the one who started the church, even though he was the one who introduced them to Jesus. And so he deals with this whole issue here in this lesson, and actually throughout some of the uh, following chapters to the end of the epistle. So let's, we're just going to kind of review back over, because we stopped up into verse 12. So let's review the first 12 verses, and then we will get right into finishing up where we were last week. So we're going to kind of go through these a little bit quickly, and I will make some comments here and there. So let's look at, first of all, to verse 1 through 6. Paul says this, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold towards you. But I beg you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Okay, so let's look real quickly here. First of all, he's going to call them to action. So, He's going to talk about the manner in which he exhorts them, and that, and that is Paul is meek and gentle in his approach as he calls them to action. And remember, we talked about that last week. Over and over, the Bible says that when you deal with someone, specifically when you deal with them concerning the issue of sin in your life, how are you to approach them? Anyone? How are you to approach them? Yeah, meekly and gently. It doesn't tell you in the Scripture to come out with both barrels blasting because you're not going to reach them with that kind of an attitude. In fact, you remember Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says that you who are spiritual, if you see someone who is in sin, that you with meekness and gentleness are to go to that one knowing that if it were you in the same situation, you might fall to the same sin. You might end up in the same situation. So the attitude in which we are to approach people, especially with issues in their life, especially things that they're not doing right on, is not to come out with guns blazing, but what? To come out with an an issue attitude of meekness and gentleness. Really exhorting that one to bring him to where he needs to be. Because let's remind ourselves of something. What's the purpose of discipline in the scripture? Restoration. Always is the purpose of discipline. Discipline is not to destroy the individual. Discipline is not to get back at the individual. Discipline is not to make a point with the individual. 
the always the only reason for discipline in the church among believers is purely for the purpose of restoring them to their relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you, and we used this illustration last week, that we had said if Tom was getting in trouble or something, and Bruce and I showed up with baseball bats to make a point with him. Is he going to listen to us? <laughs> for the moment. Up until the point we leave. <laughs> I think you told us he has a gun, too. Okay. All right. So, I mean... Is it gonna is it gonna mean anything in his life if you approach somebody that way to be just flat out in their face about stuff? No, no, it isn't. The issue is is that we're not there to squash them or whatever. We're, we're there to implore them to what? Come back to their relationship with Jesus. Now you say, well, what if they don't change? Well, I think Jesus is very clear what you need to do then if they don't change after you go through a process. What do we need to do then? Yeah, then we disassociate ourselves with him. See, the guiding factor is we need to follow the scripture and how we deal with people. Not take it upon ourselves to... Well, I'll be honest with you. Most of our reaction in our churches, and I've known churches that have disciplined, and I have met some folks who have been disciplined by churches. And it was all carnal. It was all fleshy. Very rarely did a church follow the pattern. Hardly ever did they follow the pattern. Instead of going to the individual one-on-one, they went and brought it to the church first. Then the church dealt with it. Or, quote, thought they dealt with it. When maybe, if the process was there, maybe the one individual could have over... whenever should have gone to the church if they had gone one-on-one and talked. Or two and talked. Then the church then the church. That's why, like, in our church here, if you're, if you're a member, you should be aware of this. We have, right in our constitution, a pattern of discipline. And in our pattern of discipline, it says that if someone is offended, then the person who is offended or whatever goes to that individual one-on-one. If that does not work, then take two or three. If that doesn't work, only then if that does not work. Does it become an issue for the church leadership? And it also says in the Constitution, if at any point repentance is brought about, it ends. It doesn't need to be made aware of everybody. That's the approach. And the approach is to do it with meekness and gentleness. And so Paul, as he's dealing with them concerning this issue, because it is an issue for him to deal with them about, he's telling them, guys, I came to you, I'm talking to you, in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, here's what he wants them to do. Here's his exhortation. He wishes that they deal with the issue, or when he will when he comes. He wants them to deal with this issue. He's doing it by letter. He says, guys, I want you to deal with this now, because if you don't deal with it now, when I come and physically visit you, then I'll deal with it. Then I will set things right. Then I will deal with the situation. So then now, in verses 3 through 5, he gives a description of his ministry, which is at the heart of what's going on here with the issue of his credibility, is how Paul conducted his ministry. So notice with me, Paul stated that though he lives in the physical realm, 
he does not live according to it. Because the accusation that was being lodged against Paul was that he was, he was worldly. He was using worldly methods to reach, his, to reach out to people. He was using fleshy methods. And he says, even though they live in, he says, even though I live in the physical realm, you know, even though I dwell in the physical realm, I don't live according to it. I don't live according to it. Although he lives in the physical realm, he doesn't live according to it. So then here's what he's saying to them. He did not use the world's methods and ministries, but God's power and strength. One of the things that he was being accused of was that he was using worldly methods to share the gospel with others. Now, I'll be honest with you, Paul was on the cutting edge of ministry in his day. Because I'll be honest with you, most of the Jewish Christians only reached out to who? Jews. The Apostle Paul was reaching out to who? Gentiles. And so immediately, because he's reaching out to a different group of people, he becomes suspect. And so they accused him of worldly method. And remember now, here's the pattern of Paul's ministry from the book of Acts. He would go into a community. What's the first place he would look for when he would go into a community? Yeah, a synagogue. He would go into the synagogue and reason with them over a period of time concerning what the Scripture said concerning the Christ and that the Christ was Jesus and try to lead them to Jesus. Now, after a while, some would listen, very few would listen, but most would what? Reject him. So then what would he do? What would he do then? Yeah, he would go out into the marketplace or the community and start sharing with who? Gentiles. And so he became suspect because of that. Another thing that was at issue was is that, remember, in the Jewish mindset, and we talked a little bit about this last week, in the Jewish mindset, it was a process for a Gentile to become a proselyte, to become a Jew. They had to go through this elaborate, long process. And even after they went through that process, were they totally accepted? No, because they weren't Jewish by birth. And so in the Jewish mindset, especially in this Jewish Christian mindset, it was a process for a Gentile to come into the community of faith. But now with Jesus, how does a Gentile enter into the community of faith? By what? By faith. Alone. Did they have to keep the Old Testament law? No. Did they have to get circumcised? No. See, they didn't, and Paul, that was his message, but they were upset with him because he wasn't telling them to follow the Old Testament law. And so his tools of ministry. So then notice what his nature of his ministry is. The gospel was proclaimed against false arguments to bring everyone to Christ. So he's saying, look, guys, I didn't use the world's methods. I was using the power and might of God. And the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was proclaimed to bring every thought, every action, every false argument into obedience to Christ. Hey, you know what? Things haven't changed. This was 2,000 years ago. Hasn't changed today. We talked a little bit about this last week. Today, we even in our Christian circles, there's big controversy among different churches about how churches are doing ministry. Some people think that we need to be doing ministry according to the 1950s. Some people think we need to be doing it according to this or whatever. What we need to recognize is, is that the message never changes. The gospel never changes. Everybody understand that? 
the methodology in which we may use to present the gospel to different places does. And I said, isn't it interesting that we will train our missionaries, we'll train our missionaries to go into a culture, learn the culture, so that they can then contextualize, which is a missions term, so that they can then present the gospel in that culture. We'll train them to do that, but then we'll tell pastors that there's only one way to do it in the United States, period. And I said, for instance, you feel that the culture here in Kerwinsville is the same as the culture where I'm from in South Carolina? Is it the same as the culture in California? Thankfully not, right? Is, you see what I'm saying? The culture changes. Some of you are going to Florida this week. Enjoy the warm weather for us, okay? The culture down there is different than here. Hey, even in our state here in Pennsylvania, do you think the culture here in Kerwinsville is different than the culture in Philly? Yes. Do you think it's different than Pittsburgh? Erie? Altoona? You see, there's different, there's different cultures in different areas here. There's different focus. You think somebody from Lancaster area is a little bit different than here? Yeah, there's a difference in culture just even in 20 miles. People think differently. Now, the message never changes, right? But the way in which we reach people does change. So, like, for instance, in our church right here, we're going to have a real big activity at the end of this month to reach men. What's that activity? What is it centered around? Hunting. Can I be honest with you? You couldn't do that in a city church. Want to know why? Anybody have any idea why you couldn't do that in an urban church? But what's their attitude about guns in an urban area versus an attitude in a rural area? Yes, they are in an urban area. And I'm not, hopefully I'm not shocking you by that, but that is true. The statistics show that. So, the attitude then is, there are different views. So what we do here to reach out is different here than what it is in an urban area. And in an urban area, they might say, I can't believe they're doing a trap shoot there. How disgusting. And we might actually think that something that they're doing is not right. But the issue is, is the message is the same. We get the message out because we're trying to be culturally relevant, trying to reach the culture in which we live. And that's what Paul was doing, but he was facing accusations about that. So then verse 6 says then that he is ready to deal with them. He's ready to punish them. So notice what he says. Verse 6. He stated that he was ready to punish any disobedience that they might be obedient. So he's ready to come and deal with the issues. He's ready to, as the apostle, to have the authority to go to a church and to come in and set things right. He's ready to do that. He's ready to do that. Notice the response to his critics. So he's going to respond now to his critics. Look at verses 7 through 11. Do not look at the things according to the outward appearance. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I am not ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For 
His letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that we, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Okay, so let's notice something. Verse 7, he tells them to move beyond the surface. Paul encourages the Corinthians to look, to look beyond the surface. Isn't that what we do? Because the fact of the matter is nobody here is a mind reader. Nobody here can... Nobody, even if you think you know the motives, and you might be good at guessing motives, and even though you've lived with somebody for a long time, you might un- you think you may know the motives. Do you really know the motives? Everybody understand that? You don't. Ultimately, who's the only one who knows the motives of our heart for why we do what we do? God. But what we do is, is we judge the outward appearance. That's our natural tendency. And so Paul's telling the Corinthians, look guys, when it comes to the issue of his credibility, you guys need to quit looking at the surface. You need to move beyond the surface. And so he points out to them that he is just as much a teacher of Christ as others. See, that's what the accusation was. They had these folks who were coming up from the south, probably from the Jerusalem area, these Jewish legalistic Christians, these Judaizers, and they were basically attacking Paul's credibility as a teacher. And he says, look, I'm just as much a teacher as Christ as others are. You need to quit looking beyond the surface. And so then he talks about his authority. He points out that his authority for ministry was given to him by the Lord himself. I want you to think about that. Outside of the apostles, the other apostles who were chosen by Jesus, except Matthias who was chosen by Lot, or a casting of Lot's, Could any other teacher around there say that they were personally chosen by Jesus? No, not really. How was Paul personally chosen? Yeah, he had a, on the road to Damascus, he had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. He had a personal experience with Jesus. Jesus himself appeared to Paul, knocked him off his horse, struck him blind. No one else could say that. And so he's saying, look guys, My authority for ministry was given to me by Jesus himself. And remember what I said last week. Was this something that Paul was looking forward to? Was he on his horse headed to Damascus and secretly in the back of his mind thinking, oh, I'd like to join the group that I'm looking to kill right now? Was that in the back of his mind? No, it wasn't in the back of his mind. It's not like something he was secretly wanting to do. I mean, God reached out in the midst of his hardness of his heart and got his attention. In a drastic way, actually. So then notice the nature of his last letter. So he talks about the last letter, which is one that we do not have in our scripture. Paul points out that his last letter was not a strong-arm tactic to terrify them. He didn't write this letter to strong-arm them, to terrify them. He wrote the letter to deal with some issues. So then notice, this is what the critics were saying, verse 10. Paul's critics judged his speaking abilities and his appearance as not being significant. So here's what they say, and Paul addresses it. He says, he writes strong letters, but when he comes, he's meek and, what? Contemptible. His speech is contemptible. See, remember what I said to you, if the Apostle Paul were to walk in here today, first of all, how many of you recognize that the Apostle Paul probably is one of the greatest Christians ever lived? Everybody? He wrote half of the New Testament. 
If he were to walk in here today, you wouldn't even pay him any mind. If he were to speak, you would probably not even, you would probably think, wait, that was pretty boring. His speech was not, in fact, it says, they viewed his speech as what? Contemptible is what the scripture says. So he was not an eloquent speaker. He was not, boy, he didn't have that charismatic personality. But yet he was one with authority, wasn't he? Well, isn't it interesting? Now we think he's great. Back then we probably wouldn't have even thought about it. See, that's why the whole issue of credibility is going on here. See, because the Corinthian church and the church at that day has the same problem we have today, and that is that we judge our speakers, our pastors, by what? How they what? How they speak. Isn't that how we choose a pastor? We go through a whole process, and it all boils down to how well does he what? Speak. How well does he preach? It doesn't matter what he believes. It doesn't matter about his family or anything. It's a matter of how well does he speak. But then here you look at somebody like the Apostle Paul who wrote half of the New Testament and people thought that he was insignificant. They thought that he was insignificant. It's interesting also that the Scripture warns us, and I mentioned this last week also, that the very method by which we choose our pastors is the very thing that we need to be aware of concerning false teachers, is that they are eloquent what? Speakers. So, now notice now, here's his response. His critics need to recognize that he will exercise an authority, its authority in person as in the letter. You know what, he may have been meek. He may have been gentle. He may have been insignificant. His speech may have been contemptible. But we need to remember, and the book of Acts gives us an excellent illustration, that when he shows up, he can deal with the issue just like that. Remember? He was on, I think it was the island of Cyprus or maybe the island of Crete. He was before the Roman proconsul there sharing Christ. And with that proconsul was a Jewish advisor, sorcerer type guy who's trying to keep the proconsul from listening. And the Apostle Paul rebukes him. And with that rebuke, that fellow is struck what? Blind. Mute, I believe. And blind. That's the authority the apostle had. He could have come in there and just dealt with the issue. But he's wanting them to deal with it before he gets there. Now, aren't you glad pastors today don't have that kind of authority to do that? huh? Just to speak the word and you're now blind and can't speak. I'm glad. Who needs that kind of authority? So now we get to where we didn't reach last week. So here's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. is verses 12 through 18. He's going to talk about these intruders in their midst. So notice with me verse 12. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the spear which God appointed us, a spear which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, 
that is, in other words, labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at these six verses. So notice, first of all, He's going to talk about his critics here, and he's going to talk about their inadequate standard. And here's what he says. Paul's critics attracted attention by comparing themselves with others. So here's what they did. They would come into a, into a church, you know, they would come into a church, and then what they would do is, is they, they would set themselves up with teachers, and they would say, well, you know, we're, we're better because we do this better than him. Or, we have more training than him. We have more degrees. Or, we sat at the foot of this person. Or, I personally had lunch with James, the brother of Jesus, and things like that. And so, they set themselves up by comparing themselves with others, and even comparing themselves among each other. See, this is where the whole issue of credibility came in, because they come into this church that Paul started, and so, in order for them to lift themselves up, they start comparing themselves with the Apostle Paul. Oh, we're better speakers than he is. You know, we, we look a whole lot better than he does. You know, like we, we keep the true law. He's, you know, he's preaching something he shouldn't be doing. He's using worldly methods and so forth. And so, he's pointing out that what his critics were doing is, is that they were comparing themselves. And you'll see that sometimes with pastors. They will... In order to establish credibility with their people, they will compare themselves with who? Others. That's a trap that sometimes young pastors will fall into, is, is that what they'll do is to gain credibility with the people is that they will compare themselves with the last pastor. They'll compare themselves and point out what the last pastor did wrong and how they would feel better in doing that. Now, that may do well with some people in the church, but it may not do well with others, especially if the others like the last pastor. Isn't that true? And so this is what Paul is saying, that they're doing this stuff. They're drawing attention to themselves by comparing themselves with others. Now, what does he say there in verse 12 about this practice? The very last thing he says, it's what? Yeah, it's not wise. It's not wise. Is it? I mean, you can see where it's not wise that we would be comparing ourselves to each other to quite a quote, justify our status among others. It's not a wise practice. It's not a wise thing to do. And so Paul's pointing out that these guys are engaging in something that's not wise. Supposedly they're very wise because they're comparing themselves and lifting themselves up in spite of others. But he says it's not wise. So then verse 13 he says, look, he's basically forced to boast now. This is not something that Paul wanted to do. But here's what he does. He says this. They were forcing Paul to boast in order to silence his critics. This comparison thing was going on. And it was putting Paul in a situation now where he had to boast in order to silence his critics, in order to make his critics stop. Make his critics stop. 
and here's his attitude. He says this, Paul would only boast in God and the task that God had assigned. If he's going to boast, he's only going to boast in God and the duties that God had assigned him to do. And the duties that God had assigned him to do. Then verse 14, notice what verse 14 says. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. And here he's going to talk about his authority. First of all, he points out, Paul points out that they were part of his authority. Paul points out that they were part of his authority. Why? This was because Paul was the first to bring them the gospel. He had authority with them. And that authority was basically because he was the one who what? Yeah, he led them to Christ, started the church. So he's saying, look guys, I'm not going to boast. I'm going to boast only in what God has done. I'm going to boast in the, the duties that he's given to me. And I'm not overextending my authority to you. You are a part of my authority. And the reason why you are a part of my authority is because I'm the one who planted the church there. I'm the one who led you to Jesus. I'm the one who took the time to spread the gospel to them. Now listen, think about this for a moment. This is how silly the Corinthians are being. They're listening to these Judaizing Jewish Christians who think that everybody needs to follow the law, do you think those Judaizing Jewish Christians would have taken time to share the gospel with them? No. See, this is the point they're missing. They would have only shared the gospel with who? With Jews. Paul's the one who took the time to share it with them. Paul's the one who took the time to share it with them. And the point is, is that they are missing the point. They're listening to these Judaizers who are saying, Paul has no credibility. Paul has no authority. Who's Paul? What is Paul doing? Don't listen to him. Well, the fact of the matter, somebody should have said, well, you know what? If it wasn't for Paul, would you have shared the gospel with us? Chances are they probably wouldn't have. Because they're, remember, they were attacking Paul and his methodology. They're attacking Paul and his way of presenting the gospel. See how deceived the Corinthians have become? And they're forcing Paul. This is what Paul's talking about. These critics are forcing Paul to now boast or to point out what his ministry is. And he says, guys, I'm not overextending my authority. I'm the one who spread the gospel to you first. I'm the one who spread the gospel to you first. So then here he goes. Verse 15 through 17, he he does boast. So here's what he did. We're just going to go through this real quickly. First of all, here's what he does. Paul refused to boast. Paul refused to boast in the labors of others. Paul refused to boast in the labors of others. So he wasn't going to boast in others. And then notice the next thing. He hoped that his influence among them would grow as they matured spiritually. As they matured spiritually, he's, making, he's kind of saying something here to them. He's saying, guys, you know what? You obviously aren't growing. Because if you were growing, you and as you, if you were maturing, then my influence would, would grow among you. You would understand better. You would understand what I'm doing. And so forth. Listen, because one of the things we're going to see this as we get further along I think it's in chapter 11. It might even be here in the next lesson. 
uh, they're going to accuse him. They're going to be upset with him because unlike these other teachers, Paul doesn't accept any money from them. Ever had a pastor not accept money? I mean, so he's not going to accept any money from them, and they're going to think that's weird that he should be taking their money. And he says, no, I'm not going to take your money. I've set this as a ministry precedent that those I minister to, I don't take anything from. I don't take anything from. And so, you know, so what Paul's saying, if you matured, you would understand my ministry. You would understand what I'm doing. But then he goes on. He says this, Paul wanted them, Paul wanted them to grow so that he could turn his attention to sharing Christ elsewhere. Paul wanted them to grow so that he could turn his attention to sharing Christ elsewhere. Basically, what's he saying? Guys, you're wasting my time as we're having to deal with these issues. If you were growing in your maturity, I wouldn't have to spend my time writing letters to you or even physically coming visiting you to deal with these issues. He wanted them to grow so that they, so he could turn his attention to serving Christ elsewhere. And then notice what this. He says, this is the nature of true Christian boasting. True Christian boasting is found in the privilege of knowing God himself. True Christian boasting is found in the privilege of knowing God himself. So then notice, here's the true commendation he gives in verse 18. We'll finish up with these two points. Paul states that it matters little what individuals say about itself. That's what it says. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. It matters little what others say. It matters little what he says about himself. It matters little about what he says about himself. What matters is, here's what, true commendation what only comes from God himself. True commendation only comes from God himself. You know, there's a principle here. And all of us, even myself, need to learn this. It really doesn't matter, ultimately, what others say about you. It really doesn't even matter what you say about yourself. But it matters about what God says about you. Because people are fickle, aren't they? I can say that because I'm fickle. You're fickle. Every one of us are fickle. It depends, you know, some of you are feeling really good today because the sun is shining. If it was a cloudy day today, how would you be feeling? Yeah, gloomy. We're fickle. And so one moment, we'll love you. Ooh, we love you. Oh, love you. Next moment, we hate you. Can't stand that guy. Give it a little bit. We love you again. You know how it is. Those of you who are married, wife wakes up, she's mad at you. You didn't do anything. She just had a dream that you did something. See, but we get, here's what we do. We know that we're like that. We know that we're like that. But yet we, we strive for the commendation of others. Paul says, look, that doesn't matter. It didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was what Jesus said about it. What mattered to him is what Jesus would say about it. That's what mattered. That's his focus. So next week, we're going to talk about gullibility and integrity. We're going to talk about their gullibility, not Paul's, 
and his integrity. Okay? So we're going to talk about their gullibility, and we're going to talk about his integrity, and specifically Paul's integrity concerning finances, how he handled money. Okay? Let's close our time in prayer, and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.